Glad to be with you this morning. I am the other elder, um, as I'm referred to often. Uh, my name is Jack. Glad to be with you this morning. We are continuing on in our doctrine series. Uh, we have studied multiple doctrines so far. <coughs> um, and this morning we are looking at the doctrine of prayer. Now, I, uh, I want to be... Um, always try to be transparent. I want to be honest with you. This one is makes me a little bit nervous. And, and here's the reason why teaching on prayer makes me a little bit nervous. Um, it's because of all the, I think, disciplines or doctrines that we have in the, the life of a Christian. I think this is one that I struggle with the most. Uh, meaning, not that I don't, not that I struggle with believing it, or not that I struggle with thinking that it's that's good, uh, more in the fact that I struggle with being persistent in it, and I struggle with being um, where I'd like to be in it. Um, one of the things that we find as we're going through this doctrinal series, uh, most of the doctrines that that are we that we present are things that we that we, we, we gain the knowledge about something and then it kind of drives us to um, think differently about stuff. One of the things about prayer and worship that we'll be talking about later on in the series, uh, this prayer and worship are, are things that we do, um, whereas we don't, we don't become the Trinity you know, we, don't, we, we aren't the Holy Spirit, um, but we do pray and we do worship. So it's, it's different in that this doctrinal sermon and the other one are, are talking about things that we do as opposed to who God is or what God has revealed about himself or revealed about the church. So the danger could be that I could just get it, stand up here and give you a good how-to. Okay, here's how you pray. And we're not going to go that way this morning. And we're going to look at more of what does Jesus teach us about, about prayer. And then our hopes and our desire and our longing is that as we see that, we become people of prayer. Um, God has, been, has really been pushing me in the area of prayer over, I would say, the past year. Um, I uh, shared before in June, I had the privilege of going to Ethiopia for two weeks and working with some uh, people there who've, who've given their lives to live amongst uh, a place where Jesus is not very well known. And for two weeks, almost all of what we did, our doing on that mission trip, was praying. Um, and at first there was a little bit of tension in that, because you think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm flying across the ocean to Africa. I've paid this much money. I'm going to this country. So I want to do something. I want, I want to get my hands into something. I want to, I want to be there. I want to latch hold onto this. And, and to find that most of what you're doing is prayer. It, there's something that unfortunately at the beginning can kind of come up within me and say, you mean all I'm doing is prayer. And what the Lord taught me while I was there through interactions with these people who... Um, are seeing a great movement of God is they told us over and over and over and over again, we can do nothing without prayer. It is not a last resort. It is not something we do to open and close what we're going on. We, we thrive on prayer, and if we don't have prayer, we don't do what we do. And God really, really grabbed a hold of me with that. Because what I find is that's not the way I typically operate. 
That's not the way I kind of go about life. That's not the way I go about serving Jesus. It's not the way I go about raising my kids. Yes, I pray, but I don't feel this vital need to pray. And I think God really just started working in my heart, really just started pushing me um, to really latch onto those words in John 15 where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And sometimes I think I can take that and say, yeah, it's going to be hard for me to do stuff if I'm not holding on to Jesus, to not take him at his words. What did he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, like I think that's literal. I think that's literal. I can't breathe. I can't raise my kids. I can't have the kind of marriage I need to have. I can't represent Christ. I can't do, I, I can't do anything apart from him. And so as we start thinking about prayer, and as God's really been kind of pushing on my heart this idea of prayer, those words have been right there um, kind of drawing me into what it means to be a person of prayer. And my hopes is that this morning we will um, come out of this as a church that is not known as a church who prays, but a praying church. Like it would be kind of a defining part of who we are. Uh, as I've already said, this will not be a here's how, how to have a better prayer life, where I give you four steps to being a better, a better prayer. Um, but what I want to do is, um, is I want to kind of lift up prayer, what it is. And I think that as we lift up what it is, our hearts are drawn to, I want that. I want, yes, 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 we agree, and then we want to become that kind of um, a, a people. Uh, over the past year, uh, there's a couple of books that have had a major impact on my life in the area of prayer. I've tried to read books on prayer before, and almost all the time I get through like a chapter or so, and I just kind of get bored with them, and then I feel guilty, so I just hide it, and then I uh, forget about it, and I don't have to keep reading it. Um, but there's an uh, old dead guy by the name of Andrew Murray, and you'll hear some several quotes from Murray this morning. He's just so good. Um, Andrew Murray, two books I would commend to you, The Ministry of Intercession. Um, I know that makes you excited just by the title of it. Uh, the Ministry of Intercession really is a book about praying for others. Uh, and then With Christ in the School of Prayer are, his, are two books that Murray wrote amongst many others. Dude lived in South Africa, 18th, uh, 19th century uh, missionary to South Africa, um, Brainiac, loved Jesus, and evidently was a beast in prayer. So um, really good books. You'll hear some from Murray this morning. So we're going to talk about prayer. So it's only fitting and rightly so that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, especially not hear about prayer and know how to do it. So let us go in prayer to the Lord. God, thanks for another day. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for opening a channel that we could hear from you and respond to you. And not only making that possible, but then calling us to that. Showing us these truths in your word over and over and over in so many places, in so many ways that you have laid bare before us that not only is prayer there, but it is wonderful. So Father, would you now open our eyes to see the amazingness that is prayer? And that we as a people would be drawn to it. Not simply completing a checklist, but just desiring, longing to pray. Because we know more about you. And we love you and we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I think before we begin really kind of jumping into, um, jumping into prayer, I think we need to kind of deal with a couple of things first. And, and really kind of these things are... 
maybe some ways that, you know, this would be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but in every kind of tongue-in-cheek there is uh, some seriousness, and I think we'll all be able to relate to this in one way or another. We've seen it or we've done it. And, and that's really kind of long, wrong ways to handle prayer. Uh, you know, sometimes what prayer can become is really coming to God with a checklist. Say, all right, God, here's what I need. I need an A on this test. I need somebody to marry so I'm not lonely for the rest of my life. I need my car to make it another three years so I can pay off my student loans and get something else. And then I, I would really like to have pizza for dinner. So if you could take care of that, we'd be good to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but sometimes isn't it true that our prayers can really be relegated to when I pray, I just go to God just to tell him the things that I need. And I'm emphasis on that, just to, because we're going to talk later. There is a place and a, a goodness and a rightness of us going to God with the things that we need. So don't hear me saying, okay, now when I pray, I can't go to God and ask him for things that I need. No, but what I'm saying is sometimes we can relegate prayer or prayer gets down to the times that I pray is when I've got something I need. So I go to God, list the things that I need, tell him thanks, and then go about my business. And if that is all prayer is to us, we are missing it completely. So we've got to move beyond. It's just listing off my needs, just getting off my checklist. The other thing that we've got to be careful of is that prayer can go from not just being, hey, I got a list of needs, because God already knows we need, Matthew 6, 8. But sometimes it can almost be telling God what he needs to do. So, you know, I mean, I've actually seen this some with uh, TV preachers. You know, it's easy to pick on TV preachers. But, but I've actually kind of seen this. And then I have to be on TV. But someone's like, God, we've got this building. It needs to sell. So, Lord, sell this building now. As if you're going to God and giving him commands. As if you're going to God and saying, God, this is what you need to do. You need to make this happen. You need to make it happen in this way. You need to happen now. And that's praying in faith. Well, I think there's a sense in which we, we obviously, yes, and we'll talk at length this morning about praying in faith. But prayer is not just listing needs. And prayer is not going to God and telling him what to do. I mean, Isaiah 40 presents this beautiful picture of God, and this is what it says. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? You know, when we go start going to God and start telling him all the things that are going on and how he needs to respond in this situation, we have now put ourselves above him and are showing him the right path. We don't want to do that. We don't want to walk that way. It goes beyond that. Also, we've got to be careful. And this one's, um, you know, I used to work with teenagers. I was a um, um, youth minister. And now I work with college students. So they're just, you know, they're just cooler. But they still have kind of some, some things going on. Um, cooler and they don't have to have their parents' permission to do stuff, which is that's the better part about it. Um, and, uh, but a lot of times you see this, you know, get this. You remember this, all right, now. You're 17. You're supposed to be home at... I don't know, maybe your parents are really cool and they told you to be home at 11.30 or whatever. And it's 11.35 and you're 10 minutes away from home. And so what do you start doing? Okay, God, please, God, here's, God, if you will just not let there be any cops on this road so I can drive a little bit faster and if you'll make my parents be asleep when I get home, I promise you I will read my Bible every day. I will go to youth camp and I will even go find a church that has a Sunday night service and start going. If you will just do this for me, please. You know, we, those of you are laughing or those of you who have done that, 
I know, I know, I know, it's okay, it's all right. But you know, sometimes we slip into that, it's almost like, okay, God's like, we can get God to do something for us if we give him, you know, a little give and take. I'll give you something if you do something for me, as if God's sitting up there going, oh man, that is what I need. I need one more person to read their Bible tomorrow, and you're it. Okay, good, I will do that for you. Boom, your parents are asleep. You know, and so we come to God as if we're going to make this deal with him, as if, as if he needs something from us, and so we can give him something, so then we can get something back. And the problem is, is that just really, is that the way we view God? A cosmic vending machine, if we can just toss in a prayer, he'll give us out an answer. And so we just go to him whenever we just need something, we'll toss it in and wait for him to, to come out. It's not that way. Now I say those because most of the time we look at us and say, oh no, we don't do that. We, you know, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I, I remember doing that one time as a kid. Oh, that's not what my prayer life is like. But you know the one I think that we most struggle with? And when I say we, I really say, you know the one that I struggle with the most? It's really kind of making prayer a last resort. You know, it's kind of like you've tried everything. You've worked really hard. You've given it everything. You've fought for it. You've, you know, you've worked as, you know, you're at, job, you're at your job and you want this promotion and you've done everything right. You've filled out all the paperwork. You've done better than everybody else. But you heard from somebody that, man, this other person might get it. And so you've done everything you can do. And so you say, God, I've done everything I can. Can you do something about this? And what it reveals really is a couple of things. One, a sense of self-sufficiency on our part. We can take care of things. And it's only when they get to the point that we can't take care of it that we go to God. Which is really pride. God, I got this. I got this. And it's when, it, when things become desperate, then I'll come to you. But really, also what it shows is really a wrong view of God. It's almost as if we say he can't intervene or he can't do something about it. Or maybe he doesn't want to do something about it. Or really, it's just this isn't really important enough to bother God about. So we've got to be careful that we don't let prayer just become a checklist. Prayer become we're trying to make a deal with God. Prayer is where we're trying to get God to clean up our mess. Prayer is so much deeper than that. Prayer is so much more wonderful than something we do on that level. So what I want us to do is I want us to dig into kind of what prayer is. If you would like to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, to where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the, uh, on the chair in front of you, underneath it. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Keep it. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's about, you know, two-thirds of the way into the Bible, if you don't know where it is. And I told the first service, and I mean it, there ain't no shame in the table of contents, Okay. Don't worry about it. Ain't nobody going to judge you if you go to the table of contents. You're okay. You see, we all fall into these wrong ideas of prayer from time to time. So what we want to do is we want to understand prayer rightly. We want to understand it the way that God wants us to understand it. Wayne Grudem, a theologian uh, that we've kinda, we kind of referenced several times in this series, he defines prayer real simple, and I think it's good. It says prayer is personal communication with God. Prayer, just really simplicity, Prayer is personal communication with God. That's what it boils down to. I like the way, there's another theologian, Michael Horton, uh, wrote a systematic theology, and I like the way that he kind of takes that a little bit deeper because he says, you know, in the Word, we hear from God. So God's Word either convicts us of sin, encourages us, shows us that we need to be praying for lost people, shows us the, the wonder of God so that it moves us to worship. And then what prayer is, he says, it is our spirit-provoked reply. 
You know, because I've heard that idea of prayer being a communication with God or a conversation with God. But let's just be honest, for most of us, we feel like it's kind of one way. Like we're speaking, when are we supposed to have heard from God? And so I like the way that Horton brings in the fact that the word kind of comes to us as God speaking to us. And then prayer is our response to that. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you pray, you have to like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible and then I pray. And it's just some kind of this systematic formula that's always going to happen that way. But that as God speaks to us and as God moves through his word, the teaching of his word, the reading of his word, the hearing of his word, all these things, we respond. And sometimes it's the spirit bringing the word to our minds. So we we see something. We see somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and we want them to know Jesus. And the spirit brings the word to our mind, and then we start praying for them. So it's this communication with God. And we've got to remember that this communication is founded in and only available because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. You see, it's not as though anybody can just bust up into the courtroom of God and be like, Hey God, what's up? Here's the things I got right here and we'll talk to you. Because the Bible says that only those who are His can come into His presence. Only those who are His will He hear. And what we find is because of what Christ has done for us, we now have the freedom and the joy to approach God with our prayers. And if we try to come on any other way, on our goodness, on our righteousness, on our own hopes, and on our own desires, we don't come to God rightly. We're coming to God on our terms, not his terms. And his terms is that he comes, that we come through Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And so it is through Christ that we are able to pray. That is why Jesus said in the book of John that if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. We don't come to God in our own name and our own righteousness and our own goodness. We come through the blood of Christ. And that is how we must approach prayer. And let me just tell you, if we don't start there, it is real easy to slip into those things that we said, this is not what prayer should be. So we've got to start there. And that's why I think, as I was kind of looking at a a definition, I like Grudem's definition, the idea of it being communication with God. I think it's a good, solid, just kind of really, okay, what is prayer? But as I'm thinking about us, as I'm thinking about a believer, as I'm thinking about me and my personal prayer with God and this communication, what does that look like? I really think for me, I kind of define that prayer is ultimately an expression of faith. And what I mean by that is when when I'm praying I'm not just believing something about God and it's staying here. But because I believe something about God, I'm going to him in prayer. And I'm going to flesh that out a little bit. And I think Jesus does that for us in Matthew chapter 6. So I believe something about God. I believe a truth that the word has told me. I believe this magnificent reality about God. And because of that, my faith moves me to go to him in prayer. If you were here in the beginning of August, Matt Mao preached for us out of the book of James, and he talked about faith and works and how genuine faith has works that go with it. And what I would say is if we genuinely believe the things that we're going to talk about this morning as these being true about God, if we genuinely believe those, then we will be moved to pray. Because if those things are true, then we will express our faith. And believing them, they will be seen by us going to God in prayer. 
So what does that look like? Matthew chapter 6. This is going to be a real familiar passage to you if you grew up in church. If you didn't grow up in church, this will probably be a familiar passage to you. Most commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Some have called it the Disciples' Prayer. Some have called it the Model Prayer. Uh, We're just going to stick with Lord's Prayer this morning uh, because that's what most people are familiar with. We find this in two places. It's in Matthew chapter 6 where we are this morning. Uh, It's included in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Teaching. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the sermon that Jesus gives right in the middle of it. It's the Lord's Prayer. Um, He's telling them what not to do. He says, don't be like the Gentiles, those who don't really love God or following false gods. Because he says, they think they'll be heard because they heap up these empty phrases. And because they're a large number of words, they will be heard. Jesus says, you don't have to worry about that. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask. So pray this way. And then in Luke 11, uh, the disciple, one of the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, they see him praying and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And so what Jesus says is, pray this way. And what you find is that in two different instances, Jesus uses the same prayer. And in both of them, what he does is he says, let me teach you how to pray. Now, I think it's important because I don't think what Jesus is doing here is giving us simply a formulaic prayer that he's saying, just repeat these words and everything will be good. Just take these, write them down, memorize these words, repeat them, and it'll be good. Um, I remember in in high school, I went to a very small high school in Alabama, and I played on the football team. And... um, we, uh, every day after practice, we'd practice and then we ran wind sprints until we were all just like, just sucking wind. It was just horrible. And then we'd all gather up and the coach would say, all right, let's pray. And we'd do the Lord's Prayer. And so every day it's, our Father, our in heaven, have your name, kingdom come, we'll be done. Earth is heaven, give us a day, dead brigade, forgive us the friends, do us, trust us, guess, this is You know, by the time you're in, you're just, yeah, kingdom, power and glory forever. I mean, one, two, three, go bears. All right, and that's what we did. And so I remember um, my, my cousins and I, we were, on the, we were on the football team, and we were in church one morning. Um, I went to a different church. We were all at the same church this morning. There's about six of us in this row who um, were on the football team, and we said the Lord's Prayer in church, and we fell into the cadence, and we were just saying it, and we didn't even think about it. And at the very end, we were like, a kingdom come, we'll be done. Earth is in heaven. Give us a day, day of bread. Give us a day that's kingdom, power and glory forever. I'm in. One, two. And we, we, bought, we, we went right into one, two, and then we stopped because we almost said one, two, three, go bears in the middle of the church service. Um, but the reason I tell you that is we could get in, we could take this and just say, Jesus said, just repeat these. But that would go against what he'd already said in Matthew chapter six. He's not saying, let me give you a formula, words to repeat. And if you just say them, then you don't have to pray anything else. Jesus said, pray like this. And what I think he's doing here is he's giving us this model, giving us this prayer and say, this should shape and frame the way you think about and the way you express your prayers. And as we've already talked about, prayer is an expression of faith. And one of the ways, one of the reasons I got this, because I think in this prayer, there's seven expressions of faith. Jesus is saying something. He's given us his prayer. And as we verbalize these things, we verbalize them because we believe something about God. We believe this about God. Therefore, we will go to him in prayer about this. So let's jump in. Seven expressions of faith found in the Lord's Prayer. First one is this. First thing we see is that we have faith in God's love for us. Let me read this. Um, I don't want to just assume everybody knows it um, and can say it in rhythm like I just did. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. That's what it says. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First thing we see is prayer expresses faith in God's love for us. Notice that Jesus starts out by saying, Our Father. Andrew Murray writes out that none of the saints before Christ had ever addressed God as Father. If you remember when you're reading in the New Testament, when, when Jesus calls God his Father, it causes a riot amongst the religious people. God was so holy, so unique, so different. You would not and you can't even fathom the idea of calling him Father. It's almost bringing him down to your level. And what Jesus does here right at the very beginning, he teaches us that the foundational element of prayer is not that God is aloof, is not that God is up there just waiting to cast you down. God is our Father. Murray writes this, and it's so good. It comprehends the mystery of redemption. Christ delivering us from the curse that we might become the children of God. If you don't hear anything else today, know that prayer is addressed to our Father. We who were rebellious, walking away from God, living in sin, caring nothing about the ways of the Lord, He came and rescued us. And didn't just rescue us and just set us on a path or leave us in the courtyard. He came, He rescued us, and He brought us into His family. Now, you are not somebody, if you're a follower of Christ, you're not simply somebody that God tolerates. You are His child. He is your father. That is what prayer is based upon. We who have been redeemed by Christ don't go to a God who is in the sky and is indifferent. He's our loving father. We've got to start there. That's got to be the foundation. You have got to understand and I have got to understand that when we go to pray, We are walking into the presence of a good and loving and wonderful Heavenly Father who loves us deeply. That in and of itself helps remove indifference in prayer. Because if we can't be moved by that, then it tells we've got a problem right at the very beginning. God loves us in the expression, our Father It's a way that we express and understand and express faith. God, you do love me because I can call you Father. Oh, what a good thing that is. Prayer is an expression of faith in God's love for us. Secondly, this, prayer is an expression of faith in God's sovereignty. Because notice he's not just our Father, he is our Father in heaven. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about, man, God's our Father. But then he's in heaven. He's in the place that is above all. He is in the place that where majesty is and superiority is. He is the king. He is sovereign. And my mind went to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah 6, 1, Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and the, the train of his robe filled the temple. And there's this glorious scene of the majesty and might and sovereignty of God. And what had happened was the earthly king had died. 
Nobody knew who's going to be next to be king. He was a good king. He'd been king for a very long time. And then when he died, Isaiah looks up and he's looking at the temple and he sees the Lord seated on his throne. A visual reminder to Isaiah that though earthly kings pass away, there is one king who is seated on a throne who will never, ever, ever be moved. And so what we find here is this amazing coupling of our father with the sovereign, glorious king of the universe. The one who spoke everything into existence. The one who upholds the universe by the power of his word. The one who the Bible says mountains melt like wax before him is our father. So now... The view is exalted even more because he is our father who loves us and he is sovereign. And if he is not sovereign, why would you go to him? If something is going to thwart him, if something can step in his way, if something can keep him from answering your prayers, are you really going to trust him? Do you really want to ask him for something? And Jesus said he is our father who is in heaven. There's none who stand before him. He is God. That's the foundation. That's where we're going with our prayers. So it's an expression of faith in God's sovereignty. But there's also this, number three. It's an expression of faith in God's worthiness. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now the word, name, word hallowed means to honor as holy. And in the Hebrew way of thinking, a person's name was more than just a title. Their name kind of encapsulated their character, the fullness of who they were. So when you talk about the name of God, it's not just what he's called, but it is all of who he is. And so what Jesus then moves to is our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May it be central. May it be lifted up. Why? Because you are worthy. You are holy. You are set apart. You are good. You are righteous. You are wonderful. All of that is encapsulated in this idea of hallowed be God's name. A desire and a hope is that God would be seen for what he rightly is. Not that we would make him there. He is already there. But that we would understand the magnitude of his name and his character. And when we pray and we praise God and we speak truth to him and we call back to him the things that he already is, it's not rote routine. We are saying you are all these things and we recognize it. Hallowed be your name. Holy and set apart are you, God. And so in this, we see a call to praise and adoration of God in prayer. So part of our prayer is not just, hey, let me tell you what I need, but you are God and you are holy and you're so good and I marvel at who you are. And that is right and that is good in prayer. So it's an expression of our faith in God's worthiness. God has always got to be supreme in our, care, in our prayers, over our concerns, over our pains, over our needs, over our desires. Andrew Murray writes this, The sooner I learn to forget myself in the desire that he may be glorified, the richer will be the blessing in prayer will bring to myself. No one ever loses by what he sacrifices to the Father. No one ever loses by what he sacrifices to the Father. Fourth, we see this. Prayer is an expression of faith in God's supremacy. 
Jesus goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the idea here is that God's kingdom would expand. And the way that God's kingdom expands is that they become more citizens of the kingdom. We born in sin are separated from God outside of his family. And when we have our eyes opened by the Spirit and we see our sin and we turn to God in faith, we are adopted into his family and we are part of his kingdom. Now notice what Jesus says here. The prayer is that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done. And my question for you is, how does that happen? How does God's kingdom come? How does God's will be done? And the way that it happens is those who aren't part of the kingdom become part of the kingdom. Those who don't know and love God become those who do know and love God. Those who don't experience the joy of being under the good kingship of Christ come to know and experience that. And it is right here that I think the root of intercession or praying for others who don't know Jesus is found. Because if we truly desire for God's kingdom to come, then our prayer simply won't be, hey, God, just do something. It will be, Lord, I want these people here to know you and love you and experience you in the way that I have. I want them to see fullness of joy. I want them to be fulfilled. All the empty things they're hoping in, I want those to be dashed to pieces and them to find the fulfillment that only you can give. And our heart then becomes, Lord, would you bring people into your kingdom? Would you expand in a way that only you can? Because when we genuinely desire the kingdom to come, we genuinely desire more worshipers, more children to be part of what's going on. And on a side note, if we find no joy in the kingdom, why in the world would we want others to be a part of it? If we find no joy in following Christ, then why would we want others to experience the same thing that we experience? But as we know this good heavenly king, and we see that being part of the kingdom is better than anything we can imagine, how could we not want others to know the same thing? So it's faith in God's supremacy that his kingdom will come. Fifth, it's an expression of faith in God's provision. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, here's where we see the transition. And if you'll notice, in everything that's been going on so far, all of the prayer has been completely first God-focused and then others-focused. I think this is intentional because prayer is grounded in God. And then we focus it on others, but then we turn to those things that we need. And here's what we talked about earlier. I mentioned that we don't want prayer just to be a list of what we need, send it to God and let him take care of those things. But what I don't want us to do then is swing the pendulum so far that we say, okay, well then I just need to praise God and pray for others, but then just never ask God for things that I need. We don't need to go there. Because what does Jesus do? Jesus teaches us. In teaching us to pray, he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We have to understand there's absolutely nothing wrong in seeking things from God. Um, Murray writes this, We may indeed in full confidence say, Father, I live for your honor and your work. I know you care for me. 
Consecration to God and His will gives wonderful liberty in prayer for temporal things. The whole earthly life is given to the Father's loving care. You see, I think one of the reasons that it can be difficult for us is that we have all known needy people in our life. You know those people who, who like, if you give them $5, they'll blow 6 And uh, it, it, they, they constantly need you for support, and they constantly need you for something. And you know you get to the point where you're just like, I can't do this for you. I can't supply all those things that you need. So you've got to exercise a little tough love and have them say, look, you, until you can do some things on your own, I'm not going to help you anymore. You know, and sometimes those, that's the way we need to respond. But taking that out of the equation, shouldn't that, though, be the way we act with God? You see, a person can't fulfill everything that you need. A person can't fulfill you. A person can't give you all that you need because they weren't designed to be that way. But we were designed to be completely 100% dependent upon God. We were designed to be that way. And so there's nothing wrong for us to say, God, I am yours. I am living for you. Father, I have need of some things. Would you provide? Will you provide? And what we've got to remember is that prayer is an expression of faith, not an expression of maybe, not an expression of hopefully. We come to God and say, God, I'm I'm trusting you on this. I'm walking forward. And I know that you love me and you care for me. And you're sovereign. You're supreme over everything and I worship you. God, you know already that I need these things. Would you provide in a way that only you can, that your name would be exalted? And at that point in time, God is there and he steps in. So there's nothing wrong with us asking for things. Number six, prayer is an expression of faith in God's mercy and grace. Jesus' next phrase, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Our confession is not because we're in danger of losing our relationship with God. Jesus here doesn't teach us, okay, we need to confess our sins because what we've done is now we've, we've lost our relationship with God. So now that I'm sinned, if I were to die, I'd go to hell. No, what he's teaching us here is that through the cross, we have complete and total forgiveness of sins. What Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can come against us. Christ has paid the price for our sins. But when those who are his sin, we break our communion with God. It is not as though we can pretend that we can live however we want, live disobediently, and God doesn't care about it. We can't abuse His grace that way and cheapen it in such a way that we can live however we want, but it's okay, Jesus died for me, I'll still go to heaven, everything will be all right. When we're disobedient and when we sin, we've grieved God. Our communion with Him is not the way that it should be. And Jesus teaches us when this happened, we confess. But the reason why... We can confess in prayer is because we are going to a heavenly father who is merciful and gracious. If we didn't really believe that about him, why would we even go to him in the first place? And what Jesus is teaching us is that even though he would die for us, even though he would pave the way, even though we would be adopted into God's family, we would still do these things, and yet our Father loves us and will still forgive us. That is powerful. 
So let us not wander around with our communion broken with God. Let us confess because it is an expression. God, I know that for the hundredth time I've done the same thing. I don't like it. I don't want it. I'm turning from it. But God, I need you. I want things to be right. I want our communion to be sweet and pleasant. And we know that we have a loving and merciful God who will do just that. That's what we believe when we confess these things. Last one is this. Prayer expresses faith in God's sanctification. Jesus closes this teaching on prayer with these words, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's designed that as we are saved and as we are brought into a relationship with Jesus, that we become more like him, that we want to sin less and we want to honor him more, that we want to fight against the things that are rebellious and ugly and broken and we want to turn to the one who has made us whole and we want to not just be redeemed but be those who reconcile and help redeem. We want to fight for holiness and fight against sinfulness and it closes out here. What does he say? Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. The idea here is I want to be like Jesus and I know that that's your design and I know that you You are the one who will lead me in those paths. So God, would you make me more like Jesus? One last quote from Murray. says, Our daily bread, the pardon of our sins, and then our being kept from all sin and the power of the evil one, in these three petitions, all our personal need is comprehended. In those three petitions, all of our personal need is comprehended. Before we move into the closing time of application, I want to address one more thing um, that's not addressed here in the model prayer, but I think it's important for us. As you read the Bible and you come across different prayers of people in the Bible, one of the things you see, especially um, in, the, in the book of Psalms, um, the book of Lamentations, and other places in the Bible, are prayers of lament, prayers of brokenness, prayers of crying out to God because something is not right. Um, maybe one of the most famous ones, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes Psalm 22 while he is on the cross. So the question is, is as, as we go through difficulties, as we do, as we all face hardships, and our hearts are moved to prayer, is, is that an expression of faith? If prayer is an expression of faith, so can lament is, 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 is not understanding and hurt and pain and crying out to God, Is that an expression of faith? I think it is, because Psalm 22 uh, helps us see how it is. Um, I hadn't planned on reading it, but I want to read Psalm 22. And I want want you to see what we have here. Psalm 22, David's David's writing. says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Then listen to verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Notice what David did. He's crying out. He is laying bare his soul. God, I feel as though you are 900 miles away and as if you're not listening. But in the midst of that, what does he say? Yeah, you are the Holy One of Israel. You are enthroned on the praises, and in you our fathers trusted, and you delivered them. You see, when we have been purchased and redeemed by the gospel, even in the most difficult times when we are pouring out our soul before God, we know the bedrock is that Christ said He will never leave us 
nor forsake us. So even a prayer of lament is an expression of faith in who Christ is and what he's done for us. So what do we do in response to this doctrine? First thing I would say is this. If all of this is true about prayer, then what we need to do is we need to fight those things which would hinder our prayers. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had, if I had uh, cherished iniquity in my heart, you would not hear me. First uh, Peter 3, uh, Peter's teaching on the relationships between husbands and wives. And he says that, the, that uh, um, something that's going wrong in that relationship can hinder our prayers. Uh, there's things that we can do to grieve the Holy Spirit. There are things in our lives that we can do that actually hinder our prayers. And if prayer is such this wonderful thing, then what we must do is we must say, is there something in my life that's actually hindering me from praying? Is there something sinful in my life that I'm holding on to, that I know is wrong? The Word has spoken into my life, this thing is wrong, and yet I'm holding on to it, not willing to let it go, cherishing iniquity in my heart. And if that's the case, it hinders our prayers, that sweet communion and fellowship with our Heavenly Father, because what we're saying is I would rather have this sin than I would have you. Let us fight against that and open the doors wide to wonderful prayer with the Father. Second is this, don't give up in praying. Interesting thing in, um, in Luke 11, when Jesus gives this, he goes right into a parable that he uses to teach his followers that they should always pray and not give up. Luke 18, Jesus teaches a parable that they should always pray and not give up. Twice in the book of Luke, Jesus teaches them to pray and he uses a parable to say, don't give up. Jesus says it one time, it's important. If he says it twice in the same book, you gotta think he's getting at something. And I think this is kind of what he's teaching us. God answers prayer in his timing. He's the one who's omnipotent. He's the one who's all-powerful. He's the one who's all-righteous and all-good. And so sometimes we pray, and we pray believing, and it seems as though the answer to that prayer is a long time in coming. Jesus has said, pray and don't give up. If we genuinely believe these things about God, we genuinely believe He has called us to pray, then we must know that sometimes when we think the timing is right or we think this is how it should be answered or we think this is when it should be answered, we trust and know that God loves us immensely and He knows all. And His sovereign choice is to say, not now or not yet or maybe even no. But we keep praying, trusting that He will do the right thing. Third thing is this. We have to believe that prayer changes things. We have to believe that prayer changes things. And if you're a follower of Christ, you may not be thinking about this, but prayer already has changed things in your life. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were all children of wrath, but God, with the great love in which He loved us, has now transferred us into the kingdom of His Son. There was at one point in time we were alienated from God, but now we have been brought into His family. And it's when we heard the gospel and we cried out to God in faith that He then transferred us from a kingdom of wrath to the kingdom of His Son. So if you're a follower of Christ, you have to know at the core of who you are, prayer changes things. 
The Spirit moved in you and you cried out to God. It, wasn't, it didn't have to be fancy and elaborate. It didn't have to follow a certain scheme. It didn't have to be a repeat after me. But as God worked in you, you cried out to God. That was a prayer. God changed things. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, sometimes the reason why we don't pray is we don't, we don't really think it's going to do anything. I think maybe the situation's hopeless. But God's called us to pray. James 4, 2 says that sometimes we don't get what we need because we don't pray for it, or we don't pray for it rightly. We pray for the wrong motives. Got to believe that prayer changes things. And the last one is this. Allow your meditation on the gospel to move you to prayer. I mean, we, we're a gospel-heavy church. I mean, y- y'all just start counting the number of times we say gospel every time we preach, you know? And it's like, if nothing else, y'all about, well, they talked about the gospel. What else? I don't know. They just said gospel a whole bunch of times. But we talk about the gospel a lot, okay? And again, tongue-in-cheek. But we do. We talk about the gospel a lot because it is the core of who we are. It is where our identity is found. It is where our hope is found. It is where our joy is found. It is where our purpose is found. It is everything. But what we've got to do is that as we meditate upon that, and we're overwhelmed by the joy, or we're, we, we're cut to the heart because of sin, or we're moved to pray for somebody else, let all of that, as it wells up inside of us, don't let it stop there. Express what we see and what we hear and what we believe in prayer. Move. As God puts it into your heart, respond in prayer. Some of you this morning, maybe the reason why prayer is is difficult for you, or maybe why you've never really even thought about prayer, is that you don't have the relationship with Christ. We've been talking about the gospel, how Christ has provided a way that we could be reconciled to God. Not of ourselves, not of our works. We're not good enough. We can't do enough things. We're going to be having baptism here in just a moment. I'm so excited. I love baptism. Baptism is a picture of what has already happened. Putting them under the water doesn't wash away their sins. It's not like, man, they're just crossing their fingers, hoping they get in there before something bad happens to them. No, it's an expression. God has done something for me. He has raised me to life. My old self is dead. My new life is now in him. I want to express it to everybody, and I'm going to do this. May it be that a daily expression of our love and appreciation and understanding the gospel is that we're in constant communication with God. So I want to pray for us, and as I do, uh, we'll show a video to lead us into our time of baptism. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your truth and the joy that is found in you. And God, our desire is that we would understand even more deeply the truth of Scripture and that one of the primary responses simply would be that we would pray. We wouldn't relegate prayer to a secondary task or third level task or something we forget to do or just say before meals but that prayer would be real and intense and ongoing lord that we'd have seasons of prayer for long periods of time and that god we would have short brief short brief prayers that we breathe out throughout the day lord we love you we need you we believe the truth may it be seen in the way we respond to you We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.